be true that not much good comes from predictions, and predictions seem kind of pointless sometimes. But we do it anyway, and we're doing it once again in our Eastern Conference preview. Is this the year the Buffalo Sabres finally make the playoffs? Are the Leafs a contender with that deadly offense? And could a big trade shake up the Metro division? Let's get into the rubble, sort out the madness, and see if we can predict the future. Episode 138 starts right now. And now, it's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. And uh, we're talking Eastern Conference, but before we go with question number 27, just scrolling through my notes. Okay, here we are. Brett, are you good to go? Okay. Yes, I am. All right. Cool. Who logged the most NHL seasons to equal Gordie Howe's league record? Is it A, Mark Messier, B, Tim Horton, C, Alex Del Vecchio, or D, Chris Chelios? Wait, what does that mean, equal Gordie Howe's record of, like, oh, just... Yeah, who, who, logged, who logged the most NHL seasons to equal Gordie Howe's league record is the question. Okay. Um... I was thinking it was Ray Bork, but I guess it's not him. Um, I'm gonna say, I know Chris Chelios is known for uh, playing a long time. I'm not sure if he was able to beat Gordy Howe's record, though, but my best guess. So I'm gonna the say question is who equaled it, not who surpassed it. Well, no, I know, but even equaled it, I'm not sure if he did. But he is my best guess at the moment, so I'm going to go with Chris Chelios. Going Chris Chelios. Yeah. He finally got one! Yes! He finally got one! Chris Chelios is your answer. Out of way, buddy. There we go. Finally. The streak is over. The Browns have won a football game. It's incredible. I know. It's, it's no coincidence. Um, the... Yeah, so, so like Steve was saying, this is our our season preview episode. So we're going to do the Eastern Conference, and then we're going to do the Western Conference next week. Um, we're going to start. We're, so I'm going to say. Um, so we're going to go by alphabetical order, which just so happens to start with the Bruins. So it's not. <laughs> it's not me. It's uh, just blame the Atlantic Division, I guess. Um, and we're going to, yeah, so I'll say the notable additions, subtractions, rookies to watch, the record, and who are the leading scorers every year. Um, we, um, and then at the end of it, we're going to do a uh, top, like, who are, who's going to be, who's going to make the playoffs, basically, and who will finish last, um, and basically anything in between. Uh, we do have some news stories, like uh, some re-signings and um, suspension talk, but uh, we're going to put them in where we see fit. Um, yeah, so 
We're going to start with the Boston Bruins. They went uh, 50-20-12 last year for 112 points. Their leading scorers were Brad Marchand, who had 85 points in 68 games, and then Pasternak also had 80 points in 82 games. There's also Patrice Bergeron, who had 63 points in 64 games. So that's very impressive. Uh, Tory Krug also had a great year. Um, I don't know how many people I'm choosing to share here, but Tory Krug had 59 points uh, for 76 games. So that's a lot for a defenseman. Um, as for additions and subtractions, there's actually a fair amount here. Um, it's a lot of depth signing, but uh, John Moore... Uh, Yaroslav Halak and Chris Wagner. Uh, Chris Wagner is probably going to be a the like a bottom, you know, a, a fourth line guy. But I figured I put him in here because he was somewhat of a big signing. Um, John Moore uh, was decent for the Devils, as we'll get to that section later. Um, but it was an interesting move there. Some other subtractions, Riley Nash, Rick Nash, who's probably going to retire. Um, Kudobin, um, also uh, McQuaid, uh, Adam McQuaid, who I forgot to put in here, Steve, but uh, he's also he's going to the Rangers. Um, but, uh, yeah, so there there's a fair amount um, in that regard. And then as for some rookies to watch, there's... It's kind of a little bit interesting because Riley Nash is a little, is uh, not, um, you know, he was a good third-line third center for the Bruins and was a big reason for the, the Bruins' success last year. But uh, he decided to go to Columbus, which was kind of not really a shock. So that means that we're going to have to, there's going to be competition for that third-line center role. And that's going to be the big question this year. Um, they do have Jacob Forsbaka Carlson, who is pretty good in the AHL. Um, there's also uh, some wild-card options, uh, dark horse, I guess, of uh, Trent Frederick and um, Jack Stanicka. Um and they, they seem to be playing well in the preseason, too. But my guess would be that it's going to be Forsbaka Carlson who's going, to be, who's going to take that place. And, of course, we have Ryan Donato, who played a couple of games um, last year um, after he graduated Harvard. Um, let me look quickly. He had nine points in 12 games, which is pretty incredible for our, your start of the game. Um, yeah, so the, I don't know, the, the Bruins' big question mark is, like, so they lost, they lose Riley Nash, they lose Anton Kudobin, and, and those were depth guys for sure. They also lose Tim Schaller and Austin Zarnick. So it is, so we, we it's going to be interesting to see how the Bruins' depth that they got in the additions, if that's going to take over and, and uh, fill in the holes that Riley Nash left, that Anton Kudobin left. Um, and that's, that's going to be something that's going to be interesting to see.
Yeah, I, I think um, the third-line center is definitely going to be a concern, and Hugh Dobin, the goaltending he provided was a big reason why um, the Bruins made as much progress as they did last year because mm-hmm. in the past, you know, the, the use of Tuka Rask was being questioned. Like, they play him on, like, back-to-back nights because they didn't really have much of a choice, you know. The, the plan P wasn't really right. good enough to give him a good chance to win, and Hugh Dobin was a solid plan B for them, so... I think when you look at the Islanders' defense as a whole, they didn't really help Yaroslav Halak all that much. And right. There were times where they would give up like five or six goals a game, but they gave up a whack ton of shots in some of those games too. So I think if you put Halak in a capable defense uh, that has guys like Brandon Carlo, guys like Zdeno Chera, a young and improving Charlie McAvoy, I think... When used effectively, when used wisely, Yaroslav Halak can uh, put up some pretty decent numbers for this Boston Bruins team. Um, the other thing you alluded to, not just the third-line center, when Boston had those injury issues with Bergeron, when uh, Marchand got suspended, when he missed a couple of games due to injury, they always seemed to pick up the slack, and that was largely thanks to their secondary scoring, largely thanks to their depth. And a lot of that depth had to do with young guys like Danton Heinen and Jake DeBrusque. And you mentioned Ryan Donato and how good he was late in the season. Yeah. I think Ryan Donato is going to get his chances to make an impact on this roster as the season goes along, whether it's right away or towards Christmas. I really liked what he brought to the team. Uh, I can see maybe 15 goals, 30-plus points for him this year if he's able to adjust successfully and play in a line that suits his strengths the best. Um, and I also think when you look at teams like Tampa Bay, teams like Toronto, um, a very important thing, and I guess it's important for a lot of teams in general, but especially Tampa Bay and Toronto, chemistry is crucial to their success, and it needs to be crucial for Boston's success as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think yeah, I kind of forgot to mention that Jake DeBrus. I did mention Ryan Donato because he is technically a rookie. Um, but, you know, Jake DeBrusque and Danton Heinen, Charlie McAvoy, they they were another big reason why the uh, the Bruins were able to, um, you know, play really well. It's because of the youth as well. Uh, Danton Heinen had uh, 47 points in 77 games. Jake DeBrusque had 43 points in 70 games. Uh, Charlie McAvoy had 32 points in 63 games. Um, you know, McAvoy is basically the Bruins' future in terms of defensemen. Uh, but it's, you know, so, and, and DeBrusque has kind of solidified himself as a, uh, the second line left winger for the Bruins. Um, I'm not necessarily sure if Heinen, DeBrusque, or McAvoy will be able to sustain what they did in the rookie year, especially Heinen, because I don't know what his deployment's going to be, but yeah. it is definitely kind of exciting to, that is another factor in this uh, season. It's like, we know Pasternak, Bergeron, and Marshawn, who are the best line in all of hockey, but then it's like, who else is going to step up? And that's what I'm not sure. It's like, DeBrusque and Heinen and Krejci, they all stepped up last year, um, but I'm not sure if they're going to uh, do that this year necessarily. 
Um, so that that is something else to also look for. It's just their depth uh, besides Pasternak, Marshawn, and Bergeron. So what's going to happen when those those three guys falter um, or you know slump? Uh, like can can the rest of the lineup pick it up? And that's what I'm not sure. Um, yeah, and I I think I said this at the time when when the Bruins got Halleck and Halak. And um, and they got rid of Kudobin, or Kudobin went to the Stars. I was just thinking how Halak, um, you know, like yeah, I know the the Islanders' defense wasn't great and all that stuff, and the, the, so maybe this there, there is something to like, you know, he's not there's less pressure for him, and the Bruins have a better defense um, in front of him, um, but it's it's still. I'm not necessarily confident that he's going to be a serviceable backup just because of what he did last season. Um, so, so I am a little bit worried, but, um, but You're yeah, not worried it could turn into an anti-Nami type of experiment in Pittsburgh like it was last year, right? Uh, yeah. Although Niami started to pick it up when he went to Montreal, but yeah, no, you're right. In terms of, like I, I I don't think he's gonna be like terrible where it's gonna uh, like it's gonna like we're gonna have to trade him right away. Um, but I don't think he's gonna like because Kudobin played thirty games. I could see Hollock playing like maybe twenty games or something, um, and that that would be worrisome just from because we don't want Tuca to play more than sixty games. Um, exactly. So. So that's why I am a little bit worried if he if we set Halak out to play like twenty games or something, um, then that means Rask is gonna play sixty plus games, and that's that's a little bit worrisome. Um, Another thing to that uh, to keep in mind as well, and and you look at uh, how clutch the top line was uh, in the playoffs for the Bruins: uh, Bergeron, Pasternak, Marshawn. They, they were absolutely killing it uh, yeah. through two rounds. Um, one of the guys on that offense that didn't have the best year was David Backus. And I'm kind of hoping that he's going to have a bounce-back campaign if I'm a Bruins fan. Yeah, yeah, no, that is true. And he he is, at the moment, according to Daily Faceoff, he's supposedly the second-line right-wing player. Um, although I would imagine Donato might... Uh, take his place pretty soon, or Heinen. But yeah, at the moment, it's probably going to be um, David Backus. Um, so yeah, you're, you're right in terms of he's he's been a good third line player, just from someone who's watched the Bruins a lot. Um, so I'm fine if he wants to do that. Maybe he'll play. He'll be the third line center. That's another option because uh, he was the center for the, the Blues for all those times. But um, so maybe that's that. That will be the solution there. But yeah, I'll be I'll be curious to see how um, Bacchus does um, in that role. Um, so yeah, I, I'm. I still think the Bruins will we'll save reputations till the end of our division, but I still think the Bruins will make the playoffs. Um, I just I'm a little bit cautious about their depth issues and their goaltending. Um, so, so that that that's going to be my my big worries this year. 
the best case or uh, the worst case scenario for you is that they'll do better than Ottawa. Yeah, but that's like you know, I guess that's like easy to say. That's, but, that's about the surest prediction we can make yeah, on the show. We'll do better than Montreal too. I can I can <laughs> safely say that too. Um, let's go to Buffalo here. So they made a lot of changes this year. Um, they, which as they should, because they were the worst team last year by record. Um, they, uh, went 25, 45, and 12, which puts up to 62 points. Um, they got, they traded, they have made two big trades this year, this off season. One that they traded Ryan O'Reilly, um, to the St. Louis Blues. Um, and then one where they acquired Jeff Skinner from the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, so the, and then they also uh, signed Carter Hutton. Um, they also acquired Connor Sherry, uh, and um, and they also got Matt Hunwick as well. So they were pretty busy here. And also, oh yeah, they also signed, uh, drafted Rasmus Dahlin first overall in the 2018 draft. So uh, so I can officially I did just say it here, but. Officially, they got a Jeff Skinner, uh, Carter Hutton, uh, Patrick Berglund, Valadimir Sabatka, uh, Connor Sherry, Tage Thompson, uh, Berglund, Patrick Berglund, and Matt Hunwick. Um, some notable subtractions. They didn't really lose a ton of notable guys, I guess, other than Ryan O'Reilly, of course, uh, Robin Leonard, Chad Johnson as well, who's going to St. Louis. Um... Um, yeah, and that's about it, really. Um, and then, uh, what's also kind of exciting for the, the Sabres is, you know, they'll, they'll, there's going to be Rasmus Dahlin, there's also going to be Casey Middlestad, likely, um, who's going to be playing some big minutes for them, um, so that's going to be exciting to see, and, um, and they might have, maybe, there's going to be, like, a William Nylander, uh, not William Nylander, the, his brother, Alex Nylander, might be up. Um, you know, so um, so that is kind of exciting um, to see how that works. And, like, currently, they have Jeff Skinner, Eichel, Ocposo on the, on the same line, although that may just be Sam Reinhardt eventually. Um and then here, according to Daily Faceoff, they have Connor Sherry, Casey Middlestad, um, and Jason Palmanville. Um, so they may they may change these lines at the moment, but I don't know. It's like I guess the Sabers still have to figure out their defense because Rasmus. I'll be curious to see how Rasmus Dahlin does. I'll be curious to see how. Oh, I forgot to do the leading scorers here, but. Um, I, I, the, I'll be curious to see how, I'll finish this point, I'll be curious to see how Rasmus Dahlin does. Ristolainen kind of had a down year this year, so I, I wonder how this will affect his, his stats, um, with Dahlin in the mix. Um, you know, maybe Nathan Bolio realizes potential finally or something like that. Um, and also Carter Hutton will be interesting to see how he does, uh, now that he's, you know, he's been a career backup forever, and I'll be wondering, I'll be curious to see if he can be, like, 
uh, like an actual starter in the league. Um, as for league leaders, uh, Jack Eichel has this very impressive, kind of underrated when you think about it, because he, he, he was injured for most of the, the early of the season, um, but he, he did play 67 games, and he got 64 points of, of those 67 games, so that's very impressive. Ryan, Ryan O'Reilly, who's no longer on the team, but he had 61 points in 81 games. Um, Sam Reinhart, who had a great second half, but he ended up with 50 points in tw- um, 82 games. Akposo had a decent year, but not great from his standards or what we're used to. He had with 44 points in 76 games. And Marissa Lining, who I mentioned before, um, he had 41 points in 73 games. Um, you know, they also have, um, they have, uh, uh, you know, the, the Sharks first round, um, pick. They also have the Blues first round pick, uh, from the Evander Kane trade and the Ryan O'Reilly trade as well. So they're kind of stacked already, even if they, uh, I mean, I the the Blues and the Sharks are likely going to be in the playoffs, but um, you know they're kind of, they're kind of set for the future, even still, because it does seem like they have a lot of young guys. They have Jack Eichel, Dalene, they have uh, Sam Reinhart. Uh, now they have you know maybe Casey Middlestad will be something. Uh, maybe. Uh, a, uh, Nylander can jump in somehow. Alex Nylander can jump in somehow. So um, they have a lot of young players that could be interesting to see how they do. Um, it's uh, so yeah. So um, yeah. What do you say about the Sabers? So when I look at Eichel and Skinner, I'm looking at Tim that could average over 200 shots a piece a year. Both guys, I think, could hit 30 goals have 60 to 70 point seasons in the NHL. It like I said, if they're utilized the right way. But when I look at the Sam Reinhart extension and I look at the amount of money he's getting paid, over 3.5 million per season. That's Yeah, we'll good. get to the Sam Reinhart uh, signing in a bit. But yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, when it comes to Sam Reinhart though, they need this guy to play like a guy who's making 6 or 7 million per year because I don't see a scenario, especially when you look at the top three in the Atlantic, where this team makes the playoffs with Skinner and Eichel doing everything. Right. Eichel and O'Reilly were the main success, uh, the main source of offense for the Sabres last year. Kane was piling the shots on goal before his trade to San Jose. That still didn't get the Sabres anywhere close to a playoff spot. So Sam Reinhart needs to be on the same level as Eichel and Skinner for them to have success. The other thing... You're talking about Rasmus Dallin and how important this guy is. I see this guy being uh, especially important down the road when it comes to making this team better. Because when when you look at when you look at the type of draw that he has, Buffalo doesn't have a major league baseball team or an NBA team. They have a minor league baseball team, but their season's done. And the they Bills are well, team, the Bills in the NFL. Everyone's going to be flocking to the Sabers because they got so much hype. And right. this is what a star player like Rasmus Dahlin can do. He can generate buzz like nobody else can. And when it comes to recruiting players to make your team better in free agency, 
this becomes the guy that Buffalo is going to use. This is the guy that you want to envision playing alongside with. Like, oh, if I sign with Buffalo or if I get drafted by Buffalo, I could be on the same team as Rasmus Dahlin. So that's pretty nice to have if you're the Buffalo Sabres. And in goal with Carter Hutton, I see 25 to 30 wins right off the bat if he's playing well. But I, I really find it tough seeing them in the playoffs this year because even if Hutton is solid, even if Connor Sheary has a solid season in Buffalo um, and gels with his line mates very well, uh, we, we don't know what Connor Sheary is going to be like in Buffalo because he was – playing with a lot of speed, a lot of experience in Pittsburgh. Right. So that ben- I, I'm curious to see how his point totals are going to benefit or um, hardly benefit at all in, in Buffalo without that level of skill and experience. Yep. Um, and like, like I said, the top three, and we'll get to, of course, ranking the teams in a bit. I think we can all agree the top three is pretty much set, Tampa, Toronto, and Boston. Yep. It's just a matter of where they finish. So, that being said, Buffalo's probably going to be battling out for a wild card spot. All of the top three teams I mentioned, Tampa Bay, Toronto, and Boston, they have the leadership that's necessary to get into the playoffs, overcome the highs and lows along the way, maybe go deep into the playoffs. You have a guy like Rasmus Dahlin entering his rookie season. Eichel's entering his fourth season of NHL duty. Jeff Skinner hasn't been on too many playoff teams before. Those faces are the ones that I think of when it comes to this leadership group, and I don't think right now they have enough leadership and lessons to build on and get into the playoffs, which I, is the biggest question mark of all when I look at this year's team. I think that, yeah, I could see that. I, However, I feel like besides those three teams that you mentioned, um, I feel like the Sabres could make it to, to the fourth or fifth in the division, um, because I mean, like the Florida is pretty good, but like you know, you also have Montreal, Ottawa, Detroit. Um, those are like those are also in the division. So I feel like the Sabers are good enough to at least try to be like wild card contention. Um, Do you I, think they're going to be at least contending for a wild card spot and yeah. towards the final two weeks of the year? Yeah, I still I don't think they're as good as Florida is, but I think they they would they'll be uh, I think they'll they'll be contending throughout, especially if like say Jeff Skinner and Carter Hutton work out, and if Casey Middlestad can figure things out right away, um, that will be like huge for the Sabers as well. So. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm actually kind of excited for the Sabres and I know we say that I say this every year, but I feel like this could be their year where they, they, they put things together. Um, but, um, it, it might, I'm, I'm still cautious about it cause I'm not necessarily sure if they'll be the, if, if they'll make the playoffs, but I could see them, uh, you know, contending, um, until the end of the season, at least. And what's also worth noting is that Phil Housley, he's entering his second year as an yeah. NHL head coach, too. So even behind the bench, they're still learning. Yeah, so so you did mention Jeff Skinner, and the crazy thing about Jeff Skinner was, is so he was on the Hurricanes, and he had 49 points um, in 82 games for the Hurricanes. Um, but, like, that was kind of his off year. And, and for an off year, that it wasn't that bad, because he still had 24 goals. 
Um, so that's uh, so that's kind of amazing. So if he can get something going with Sam Reinhardt and Jack Eichel, I think he can. You know, it can it can be kind of like a steal of a trade, um, even though it was kind of a steal of a trade at the time. I um, mean, yeah. also Carter Hutton is going to be kind of an interesting case study as well because. He's like he's thirty two years old right now, um, although he's about to be thirty three uh, pretty soon in December. And in thirty two games for the the uh, Blues, he had a two point oh nine GAA and a save percentage of nine thirty one. Um, so of course, this is a small sample size, even still for a backup. But that's that's like really good for a backup. So yeah. I I will be curious to see how like because Carter Hutton could theoretically like be the 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 building blocks, but it's all going to be relying on if he can continue that success over to Buffalo now that he is the starter. So um, yeah. I will be interested to see how that that goes for them. Um, we we should go to Detroit here. Um, so they, they're kind of on the downturn now, but, um, but they did finish fifth, um, in the Atlantic last year with a 30, 39, and 13 record last year. Um, they, uh, let me see, I think their leading scorer was, uh, Dylan Larkin, who had 63 points in 82 games. Um, Henrik Zetterberg, who's now retired. Um, had 56 points in 82 games. Oh, I forgot to mention Sam Reinhardt. You you mentioned this before, but Sam Reinhardt um, had two years, 3.65 million annual average value. Um, I think that's a good deal. I I'm kind of a big Sam Reinhardt guy. Um, he uh, he was very good in the second half of the thing of the of the season. So I especially when uh, Jack Eichel was injured. Um, it was when he started to step up, so I will, so that kind of like shows that he can be, um, a guy, a player, like a, a, a player or someone who can, uh, change, somewhat change the game. So that's, that's, um, that, that could work out for them. It is a bridge deal, so. Um, so I think it's just more of like a prove it contract. Like, oh, you did really well in your second half. Now we want to make sure that you can sustain a, for a full year or two. So and, uh, one, and one of those guys on Detroit that had his moments last year that also got signed to a bridge deal is Anthony Mantha. Yeah, Mantha as well. Yeah, that's true. Um, so Dylan Larkin, um, Mantha had 48 points in 80 games, so that's not great, but whatever, it's still it's about the same stats as um, as uh, Sam Reinhardt had. Uh, Gustav Nyquist had four, 40 points in 82 games, um, and then, uh, so the notable additions, they didn't really add anyone, really. Uh, Thomas Vanek and Jonathan Bernier were the two big ones um, Vanek will probably just be, uh, you know, um, he has a no trade clause finally, but, um, he'll, he'll probably, you know, be a decent top six role guy. Jonathan Bernier will probably be a backup, but I could actually see him being a starter 
um, or outperforming Jimmy Howard at least, um, maybe. Uh, but you know, the thing with the the Red Wings is is that they don't have Zetterberg anymore. Um, they're probably gonna they're probably gonna have Zadina in at least for the first nine games. They have Michael Rasmussen, who was the twenty seventeen draft guy that they drafted in the ninth overall. Um, last year, who will probably play as well. So I, I take this season for Detroit as like a rebuilding year, like seeing who they have, uh, seeing who will work at, who will be a part of their core, who won't be. They already know that uh, Larkin's going to be a part of their core, considering they signed them up a long term. Um, probably Mantha as well. Um, and then we'll see it, you know, and they want to watch what Zadina and Rasmussen can do. Um, maybe, you know, Andreas and Athanasio will be interesting to see how he'll do. Tyler Bertuzzi is another rookie to watch, um, who could be, you know, who could be interesting there too, as well. Um, but yeah, I, th- I, I take it like with, with Zetterberg retiring, it's now time for Detroit to start rebuilding, and they uh, um, they should have been doing this a couple of years ago. But um, it's like it's finally happening. Where uh, Zadina, Rasmussen, maybe the uh, Evgeny Shevchenkov, Shevchenkov can make something, can do something here. So. Um, but, like, they obviously need to work on their defense, um, and their goaltending will probably be bad, too. But um, at the moment, it's, uh, you know, they have some some players on their forward group that could be something. Um, but it's, but at the moment, they're, you know, they're not, they're not going to be trying for the playoffs. They're just seeing what they have kind of thing. Yeah, I, I, you know, when, when, when you look at uh, all the young assets they have, at the Nassi, you mentioned Martin Ferguson, another name, Tyler Bertuzzi also mentioned Zadina being a rookie. Yeah. Um, all of those guys are new to this league, are still trying to make a name for themselves. Um, Anthony Mantha and Dylan Larkin, they haven't really been thrusted in those big game situations, so I can't really say they've reached their full potential because they haven't really been given enough chances to do that so I think this is where you need to really give the young guys some of those pressure pack situations and see how they respond because you're never really going to know what you're going to get out of these guys until you put them in those situations and uh, in a rebuild mode that's a pretty good time to do that and Dylan Larkin showed a lot of good strides last year Mantha still needs to show uh, some strides of his own but I think on a good year, he could get 20 goals and 60 points. So it'll be interesting to see what he does. But but like you said, uh, Franz Nielsen not getting any younger. Nicholas Cronwall nearing the verge of retirement. He acknowledged that um, he doesn't know how much he's got left in the tank. Um, Mike Green re-signed to a two-year extension, but uh, his best days appear to be behind him as well. And you look at guys like Danny DeKaiser on the back end, they haven't really delivered either. So you you can add a piece like Thomas Vanek and a piece like Jonathan Bernie to make it seem like you're still trying to win right now. The fact of the matter is 
like I said, you look at the top three, you look where Detroit is. Detroit's not going anywhere this year. It's it's going to be a year of hurdles, obstacles, um, and lots of lessons learned. So, um, yeah, when I look at Detroit, I don't look at a playoff team by any means. Yeah, they'll probably, I mean, they they also, I didn't even mention their, their defense at all. It also looks like uh, Mike Green has like a serious... Um, heart issue or something like that, so he may not no, even start, okay. yeah, he may not even start, um, he didn't even make training camp, um, apparently he complained of fatigue, um, there was something, actually, I thought it was a heart issue, hold on, um, what the worst of it, oh, he has an, an infectious disease, uh, a viral infection on the backside of him. Oh, wow. So, uh, yeah, so he, his, uh, his health is not, is now in question now. But, um, yeah, it's, it's going to, I, I think this is going to be like a transitional year for the, the Red Wings this year. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they're as bad as Montreal or Ottawa is, but, um, I think they are. They. I wouldn't surprise me if they are last in the division this year. Yeah, I, I don't think they're bad enough to finish last in the division, but they're definitely not good enough to be a playoff team. Exactly. Uh, let's go to Florida here. The uh, Panthers were, which is kind of impressive when you think about it. So they missed the playoffs, but they did have ninety six points. Uh, they. They won uh, forty. They went forty-four, thirty, and eight. Um, they had, you know, Alex Barkov and Trocheck had breakout years this year. Barkov had seventy-eight points in seventy-nine games. Uh, Trocheck had seventy-five points in eighty-two games. Huberdeau was also very good. Um, he had sixty-nine points in eighty-two games. Dead enough was kind of a revelation, uh, kind of with the 65 points in 74 games. And then you have like a little bit of underrated guys with uh, Keith Yandel, who had 56 points for a, for a defenseman. Bukestad had 49 points um, in 82 games. And Ekblad had 38 points. Um, we'll, we'll talk about the Max Domi situation Um uh, when we talk about Montreal, which is next, but uh, but <laughs> is uh, he had some scars from that. Um, yeah. The the big questions for Florida here is like you have Robert Roberto Luongo, who's like forty years old right now. Um, he was dominant. Uh, he's thirty. He's thirty nine right now, but um, he had like a nine twenty nine save percentage and a two forty seven GAA last year in thirty five games, and then you have James Reimer who played more games, but he went twenty two fourteen and six um, with a two ninety nine two point nine nine GAA and a save percentage of nine thirteen. Um, so I'll be like, I feel like the that's what the Panthers are going to be relied on is their, their goaltending. Um, they were able to be serviceable at most, but um, not really the, um, a ton of, you know, it, it, you know, Luongo's 40 years old and Reimer's 
it can be inconsistent at times, so I don't know if they'll necessarily uh, be good for each other or, like, be good again. Um, in terms of additions, subtractions, and rookies to watch, um, Mike Hoffman, um, the, the Panthers were the team that benefited from the Senators' tire fire that's not named the San Jose Sharks because they got them through the Sharks, but... Um, but Mike Hoffman's now in the, the Senators' division, um, although he doesn't have to deal with Eric Carlson now. Um, and uh, they didn't really lose anyone um, notable. And some rookies to watch that may, uh, that may make some noises here is Henrik Borgström, who had, who's had a very good college career. And maybe, maybe, maybe Owen Tippett could make his debut this year. Um, it looks like he's impressed uh, train, in training camp, but um, it may it may not happen. It may be like a you know a late season kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I don't, I I am curious to see how Hoffman does. Um, and Dadenoff will be here, but they could. You know, they could sneak into the playoffs, I feel like, um, if especially if Boston and Toronto, I think those are the two shakier teams um, in the top who could, like, if they falter somehow, I feel like the Panthers could sneak into the top three somehow. Um, but, like, a lot of things have to go right. Um, yeah. Luongo has to be unbelievable. Um, you know, Barkov has to step up another level, uh, so does, uh, Trocek, so does, you know, Hoffman has to be, like, you know, have good chemistry with everyone, Huberdo has to have a, like, you know, everyone needs to be healthy, Barkov, Huberdo, uh, Luongo, they all have history of being injured, um, so, uh, Ekblad is another one you know, who could make some noise as well. So that's, it's, it's going to be like, it'll be tough. Um, if they want to make it to the top three, I could see them making a wild card spot. Um, but they, they, they're kind of low key, actually like really good. Um, so, um, I could see, I could see them, uh, making some noise. Um, at some point this season. Yeah, I would say the Panthers own the most underrated offense in this entire division. Like yep. you said, Hoffman's in the mix now. You've uh, Don't forget about Nick Bugstad. He's still a thing in Florida yep. as well. Um, if, if he is able to take his game to another level, that's another threat uh, to Florida offense. Um, I think that... I think, you know, you look at uh, all the guys that quietly had great years, Dadanov, Yandel, um, yeah, if um, Bjorkstrom uh, makes the team and, and is productive, he could be another guy. Uh, Nick Bukestad, like I mentioned, uh, I don't think we've seen the best of him as well. Um, that's that's a pretty underrated top six right there when it comes to forwards. Right. Uh, even though Yandel's a defenseman, like, you know, Yandel... Yandel and Ekblad are, are two of their best offensive defensemen, and um, and, and and with Ekblad, you know he, he hasn't had 
the easiest 18 months of his career. He just had to battle concu- uh, concussions there um, and, and, and various other punch. injuries. So, um, and, and that brings me to another point. This team's got to be healthy. because, yep. And it starts with Longo. It continues with uh, with um, Aaron Ekblad. It, it continues with Huberto and Barkov as well, who have had uh, previous injury history prior to last year. Both of them missed um, a fair bit of regular season time in 2016-17. So if healthy and if productive, we're looking at a definite wildcard contender. And, and I think Mike Hoffman... Given the fact that he scored between 20 to 25 goals on a bad Sens team last year, he could score 30 goals. If March still could score 30 goals in Florida, I think Mike Hoffman could score 30 goals in Florida as well. Because we're looking at a guy like Barkov. He took the fifth most face-offs in the league last year, finished fourth in the Selkie voting. Um, his shot total went up significantly. He had 142 shots. Um, two years to go, 256 last year. That's a shot jump of 114. That's pretty good. So um, I definitely think the potential is there for the Panthers to be a playoff team. But like I said, health is going to be a major factor. Um, I know they got Michael Hutchinson to compliment Reimer and Luongo in goal, but um, the the health of Reimer and Luongo I, I think is – is probably what's going to be the BL and end all yep. Panthers this year. Their goaltending has got to be solid because we, we saw when their goaltending was good late in the season, the Panthers were winning. They were right. winning close games. They were gaining ground on teams. And when they weren't getting good goaltending, they were losing games and they lost enough games early on in the season where it came back to bite them at the end of the season. So um, this goaltending can't be just – inconsistent and on and off healthy uh, over a course of an 82 games. It needs to stay at a very solid level in order for this team to really make strides. But I think they're certainly heading in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're in a good direction. I don't know if they'll necessarily, um, I, I, I feel like they could make the playoffs. Um, if like Boston, Toronto, or Tampa falter somehow, um, it will be Boston. I don't see that happening with Toronto and Tampa. I'm I could see Toronto Tampa. faltering actually, but yeah, no, you. Uh, uh, all, right, all right, well, we'll, we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, but yeah, the i idea of um, the i yeah I I I could see. But like at least they'll make the they'll they'll make it close in the in the wild card position. I know the uh, the Metro division is going to be um, ha- also has a lot of teams there, but um, I could see them making making some push to be in the playoffs uh, when it's time. Uh, but of course, everyone has to be healthy and all that stuff. Yeah, uh, Montreal had a big. Um, had a big year um, in terms of off-season moves. Uh, they made they traded away uh, Max Pacioretty, of course, and Alex Galchenyuk. Um, they got back uh, uh, Max Domi and Thomas Tatar. They also have Nick Suzuki, although I don't know if he's going to be playing this year. Um, the they also have Thomas Plakanic, 
they got him back. Uh, Joel Armia. Uh, they also have um, uh, Matthew Pekka, who could be a center for them. Um, what's what's kind of funny is I see here uh, that they have Max Domi as a center, uh, where where he you know he usually plays the left wing guy. And so so it's funny how last year they had like Jonathan Drouin playing center when that wasn't his natural position. It's just like, all right, we see a winger. How hard could it be to make these people centers? And then they don't actually make centers. And then they actually have a center in Alex Galchenyuk, but they refuse to play him on center. So it was uh, it's a weird move that they uh, that they're making is because they actually have a you know they had a good center. Um, in Galchenyuk, at least, and then they they treat him because he wasn't good. He wasn't a center, I guess. Um, so that that was the crazy part. Um, Dalger had a pretty underrated season. He had fifty four points in eighty two games. Uh, uh, Galchenyuk had fifty one points, but he's no longer on the team. Um, Druen had forty six points in seventy seven games. Jeff Petrie had forty two points in eighty two games. He'll probably take over now that Shea Weber is gone for half the season. Um, and then as for goalies, that's going to be the big question mark because Carey Price was injured and then uh, for for about half the season. And then when he was healthy, he wasn't great. He had a 900 save percentage, a GAA of 3.11. Um, his win record, win loss record was 16, 26, and seven. Um, we did mention Niemi, um, and, uh, he actually was decent for them. Um, he had, in 19 games, he went 7-5-4, and four, um, at a save percentage of 9.29 and a GAA of 2.46. Um, so that's, that's pretty good, but, um, it's, <laughs> I feel like the Canadians are, it's all dependent on Carey Price. If he can be healthy, um, it's great. Um, but if not, then their team is going to stink. And, they, you know, I know that they're looking for centers. They got Jesperi Kotkaniemi when they probably should have drafted Zadina um, or Kachuk even. But they, you know, they they went with uh, the best center up there. They traded Max Pacioretty to get Nick Suzuki, who will be a center as well. So they basically need a center. They're going to, you know, there is a pretty big center this year um, in Jack Hughes uh, for the draft. So um, so they may try to see if they can uh, get him, maybe. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's all going to be dependent on Carey Price this year. Uh, Shea Weber is going to be out for a while, so their defense isn't looking great. Uh, it looks like Philip Deneau, who could be something, he had a de- decent year, and then uh, he was injured because Chara hit him in the head with a slap shot. It was completely inci- incidental, but uh, Philip Deneau... Uh, it's worth mentioning at least he had uh, 25 points in 52 games um, last year uh, before he was injured. But he is a center, um, so so they have that. But it's it's gonna I don't know it's gonna be a I feel like it's gonna be a weird 
team because you have Max Domi, Thomas Tatar, who both had bad years, but they could bounce back. Same with Drouin, who had a bad year, but he could bounce back. Um, Joel, uh, they also just signed Paul Byron uh, to a uh, f- four years, $3.4 million annual average value. Um, and also, do, uh, speaking of Max Domi, uh, he was suspended for the rest of the preseason, which is kind of crazy, for uh, sucker punching uh, Aaron Ekblad, who we just talked about. But um, it seemed like Domi should have been suspended at least the first 10 games of the regular season. This preseason doesn't even matter. But uh, it was very clear that it was intentional. He punched the guy, uh, punched Ekblad when he wasn't expecting it. Um, and, uh, the rest of the preseason seemed ridiculous to me, but, uh, yeah, (laughs) your thoughts on all of this. I know I'm rambling now. So you're right when you say this team is a walk-out contender if Carey Price plays out of his mind. And I would add on to that if Shea Weber is back and healthy and playing his usual good self. I don't even know if they're a wild-card contender, but I, it's hard to... (laughs) It's hard to count them out when I know what Carey Price is capable of. I'll put it that mm-hmm. way. Yeah. Well, they'll be a competitive team if Carey Just Price is good. The team in front of them is not good. So well, yeah. yeah. And, and you look at uh, their offense. We'll get to their offense in, in a second here. It was a work in progress on the goal scoring front last year. But there were, their defense was as well. Like, I remember the first month of last year, uh, specifically a 6-2 loss to Anaheim, where this team could hurl tons of shots on net but couldn't buy a single goal. Like, they outshot the Ducks by a 2-1 margin. They still gave up six goals and lost, and that was with Carey Price in the net. And another reason why they uh, got off to a bad start last year is um, – composure or lack thereof when things got bad they would give up a series of goals in about give or take 30 seconds that happened multiple times last year um carry price wasn't playing like carry price but their defense their team defense wasn't as sound as it needed to be um i don't think they were as quick to the puck it looked like they were a bit slow at times and when you lose puck battles that leads to goals and when you're behind every mistake is magnified so by not playing ahead they kind of put themselves in a bad spot. And when it's repetition, when uh, it happens over and over and over again, um, your, your failures repeat itself. And what's worse is that not only did they not improve, I think they actually got slightly worse because all Bergman seemed to do for a second straight offseason was make one-for-one trades besides the Pacioretty one, obviously, and recruit two, maybe three short-term solutions. Um, like Patches, you can talk about the bad year that he had, but he's still on a normal year hitting 30 goals per year. Right. And you look at Thomas Tatar, maybe could hit 30 goals. Um, Brendan Gallagher, he hit 30 goals last year, but is he going to hit 30 goals every year? Is Jonathan Druin going to be a 30 goal scorer? I don't know. No. And of course you put Max Domi at, the top line center position and just hope he's going to work out it th- there's a lot of hope that things are going to work out on this montreal team but there is far from a guarantee that things are going to work out because basically two of their proven goal scorers have now been shown the door and they brought in like three and now they have like three or four guys that they're hoping one of them at least can score 30 goals 
and they're paying a guy like Paul Byron two, three, four million a year to be a top six forward now. Uh, it's it's one of those things where they're trying to solve problems from within, but it just isn't working. And even if Carey Price plays good, I don't think the Avs have what it takes. I really don't. Yeah, it, yeah, I don't. It's weird to count them out with the team, like because I know what Carey Price is capable of. Um, so it is hard yeah. to like count them out with any team that has Carey Price on them. But then again, like you look at his statistics and you're like, oh, he had a 900 save percentage and a 3.11 GAA. That's like, <coughs> that's like terrible. Um, that's horrific. So, I mean, I know he was injured and he had some mental issues as well. So there may, or like, uh, I think he had, uh, there was reports that he was fatigued or something like that. Or mm-hmm. <coughs> So... So that may have something to do with it, and you know maybe he has enough rest this year for a bounce back. Um, so that's why it's like, but like I kind of liken him to uh, Henrik uh, Henrik Lundqvist now, where like we know what he's good at, but like if you're expecting what he did two or three years ago, you know, good luck. <laughs> um, so um, you know, it, it is kind of sad, though, to see that because, you know, he has been one of the more consistent goalies in the league for a long time now. And um, and it just kind of, this this kind of downfall of the Habs kind of just shows the, how much the uh, Habs relied on Carey Price to begin with. Because um, yeah. he could, like, help fix all the mistakes that the Habs had on the defensive side of things, but now they actually have to worry about the defense. And without Shea Weber, it's for for a bit. It's going to be tough to see if they um, if they you know if they do anything. And then they also have to worry about the center situation. Um, so um, so yeah, it's it's a, it's a little worrying for Montreal in that regard. See um, the 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 thing the situation with Carey Price. I, I kind of compare it to Patrick Wall in the sense where. He could hide some of the Habs' weak points for a certain period of time. And then it got to a point where, no matter what he did, the Habs' flaws were exposed and they couldn't be covered up anymore. And, of course, we all know that there was a situation much bigger that led to Patrick Waugh's departure from Montreal. But, at that time, he could no longer disguise the Habs' flaws. And my fear is that the Habs are headed in the same direction with Carey Price in that. So we now go on to uh, Steve's favorite team, the uh, the Ottawa Senators. Uh, Speaking of flaws... Yeah, I know, I know. Like, even more of a firestorm than the yeah. Canadians. Uh, the Senators had uh, went 28-43-11... Um, that put some second to last in the Atlantic Division last year. They uh, almost finished last, by the way. Yep. Uh, their leading scorers were <laughs> Eric Carlson, uh, 62 points in 71 games. Uh, Mark Stone, 62 points in 58 games. Uh, Hoffman had 56 points in 82 games. Matt Duchesne, also had, who was better at the, towards the end of the year, but he had 49 points in 68 games for them. 
Ryan Dezingle had 41 points in 79 games. Um, and then in goal, they had uh, Craig Anderson, uh, who had a, an even worse record than Carey Price. Um, an 8.98 save percentage and a GAA of 3.32. Um, Mike Condon is a 9.02 save percentage and a 3.25 GAA. Um, so yeah, they uh, they weren't good, um, especially um, since they so they they subtracted Carlson and Mike Hoffman and Alex Burrows. Uh, they added Michael Boddicker and Chris Tierney and Dylan DeMello. Um, but hey, at least they have Brady Kachuk, um, and Logan Brown will probably make the team as well as, uh, Colin White. Um, yeah, so, um, and to make even sadder news, I don't know if we mentioned this last week, but John Gabriel Peugeot, um, is out for six months, uh, he has a torn ACL. Um, so, so they, yeah, they're they're not uh, so Peugeot, uh, um, a fan favorite of sorts, um, is also not going to be on the team technically because uh, of just injury. So um, yeah, we kind of talked about this a lot last week in terms of how in dire need. The, the Senators were how they were one goal away from making the Stanley Cup Finals to be to actually having the worst case scenario happen this year, where literally everything went wrong. Um, there was no goal, like Craig Anderson and Mike Condon fell apart. Uh, Eric Carlson got into a fight with the the owners. There's also some. Uh, locker room issues with Mike Hoffman and Eric Carlson. Uh, they make this trade to get Matt Duchesne, which means they gave up their first round pick uh, for this year, um, or you know at least, or it could have been last year as well. But um, you know, and then all of a sudden the Avalanche make the playoffs, and the Senators are almost dead last um, in their division. So it backfires. Um, and then, you know, Mark Stone gets injured, um, you know, Eric Carlson gets injured, um, and he's not great. I'm just, I, I, I hate doing this to you because I know you're, you're just grimacing because I have to remind you about all this stuff, but, um. Oh, I keep getting reminded about it every day in the media, buddy. So, okay, fine. So. So that, that that's basically uh, uh, like I could go into more detail, and we have, um, but that is basically um, what happened. Um, but yeah, even still, like I don't know, it, it's the the thing with the Senators is they're definitely going to miss Mike Hoffman. They're definitely going to miss Eric Carlson, of course, but they still have Matt Duchesne. They still have Mark Stone. Um, and it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of reminds me of what the, uh, the Detroit's doing now. It's like seeing what you have for later. Um, even though, you know, they could have, uh, you know, they could have contended, but, uh, you know, like you could see what Brady Kachuk can do and you can see what, uh, Thomas Shabbat is made of. Christian Willanen is another one. Um, but like at the moment it feels like, um, you know, Bobby Ryan could be something. I don't know. He's 
it seems like he's injured all the time. Um, you know, Matt Duchesne and Mark Stone could be interesting thing uh, items if they wanted to get back into the first round. Maybe they trade Duchesne or Mark Stone uh, for some pieces and get a and just get at least one first round pick next year. It may not be their own, but it could be something. Um, so it would be uh, uh, so that would be an option for them, but. Um, but yeah, it, it, I, I want to say, I, I want to give you some glimmer of hope, but I don't know if there is other than, I mean, uh, other than Mark Stone and Matt Duchesne might be decent or something, or they're going to play well enough that they, uh, want to get good value, uh, to be traded or something. But, um, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not looking good for, for the Ottawa Senators. Thank you, Captain Obvious. It is looking horrendous for the Ottawa Senators, but you know what? Let's let's go down your road and let's look at the bright side. So you look at a guy like Mark Stone, okay? He's had almost 400 takeaways since the start of 2014-2015. And during that stretch, he ranks tops in the league, obviously. 84 more takeaways than the next closest guy. When it comes to creating offensive scoring chances, takeaways are key. When you're catching up and you need to get something going, like Ottawa probably will be for most of the year, takeaways are crucial. When you're heading into your own zone and the other team has total control of the play, like, again, the Sens probably will be several times this year, you're going to need a takeaway. Not too many guys like Mark Stone grow on trees in the NHL. This is a hard worker, even when he doesn't have the puck on his stick, and when he's got the puck on his stick, he has the tools to be a point-per-game player. This is a guy that the Sens need to keep. This is a guy that provides intangibles that very few other forwards can, kind of like what Eric Carlson did uh, when he was still with the Sens. And you look at a guy like Matt Duchesne, who Pierre Dorian wanted so badly 18 months before he made that trade. And if they lose him, well, I, I don't think that's on Pierre Dorian. I think that's more of Eugene Melnick telling Pierre Dorian to trade Matt Duchesne right. and get what you can for him. Because you... you you don't trade for a guy that you've waited 18 months to get only to trade him away less than a year later. You know, if you want a guy that bad, you do whatever you could to get him on your team. And Pierre Dorian did that. So if, if they lose Matt Duchesne, I think it speaks more to the state of the sense beyond Pierre Dorian. Um, and you look at their defense and well, <laughs> um, I think it's probably the most inexperienced defensive corps that I've ever laid eyes on. Right. And it sucks for all these young guys because they're going to be thrown right into the fire because CeCe and Borokop are going to be your top two defenders. Shabbat is probably going to be thrusted into a top three role in his second year. Yaros and Wolainen, they're still getting used to uh, the NHL level of play. My hope is that these guys are going to excel, and this will be just a case of short-term pain leading to consistent improvement. But given the, the way the things have gone for the Sens over the last 12 months, you know, we're, we're hoping for the best and preparing for the worst at that point. And then in goal with Craig Anderson, even if Craig Anderson plays out of his mind, the best that the, the Sens can be is a wildcard contender. Not a wildcard team, a wildcard contender. And I think they're still going to be that same way, even if every single guy on that team uh, plays above what people are expecting of them. Because you look at their 
list right now on the wings. Gabrick and Ryan are two of their best players right now on the wings. And right now they're injury prone. Gabrick hasn't been cleared for camp yet. Bobby Ryan just can't seem to. I forgot they even uh, had Gabrick. Can't, can't seem to stay off the IR and keep his hands healthy. Right. Um, and even when they're playing, they don't have the same kind of production that they did five or seven years ago. So, you know, what are you going to do? Lean on Mark Stone and Matt Duchesne for offense? That's not going to get him anywhere. Right. If Zach Smith can't score 20 goals like he did the year they went to the conference finals, you know, they're not going to be any better. And if Ryan DeSingle takes a step back, they're not going to be going anywhere. So what the Sens need to do is, again, see what they've got, keep what they know is going to be helpful to them down the road, and more importantly, don't rush guys like Brady Kachuk. He's got to play in the OHL this year or a lower level of hockey. They need to continue to develop him properly. They need to continue to do the same with uh, guys like Batherson, guys like Formington, guys like Logan Brown. For all we know, they could be the worst team in the Eastern Conference, and I wouldn't be surprised if they are. So why rush these young guys when you know that playoff appearance is out of the question? Yeah. Now I have a question on that for Kachuk. Yeah. So, like, let's say Kachuk has starts off really well. Like, he has, I don't know, um, three points, uh, maybe four points in his first, like, four games or something. Uh, do you want to send him back still? Or, like, how beholden are you of sending him back to the OHL or the AHL? I give him eight or nine games, whatever the limit is, uh, before um, you take off a year of his entry level and then send him down. Okay. No matter how good he's doing, I I think he really needs to flourish because I don't think he, I, I don't think he really got the chance to to light college hockey on fire. And I think just for the sake of his confidence, like that, that's the important thing that a young player needs is confidence. Yeah. And. Going into the future, the Sens need players with confidence, players that feel confident in their abilities. And if you rush them too soon, I think you're taking away from them valuable confidence that is only available to them for such a short period of time. He's not going to have the ability to play in the OHL forever. Once he's reached that certain age, he can't play in the OHL. He's ineligible. Right. So... What's one season the OHL going to do to harm his development? I, I I don't see how it could harm it at all. Well, I think there is this... Especially uh, in a team like London that knows how to develop good players, like freaking Alex Formanton. Right. Look, look at... I saw him at Sens Fan Fest. He was probably... Uh, he was probably the best player not named Brady Kachuk on the entire ice. He was using his speed very well. Right. He was playing on London last year. Well, I, the only argument I would make is that since the the Senators don't have a first-round pick this year, I feel like they're just, <laughs> like, if if Brady Kachuk can flourish in his first start, I, I don't see what the issue is of just continuing up on the NHL. If he can sh- prove that he is an NHLer, then I don't see why you should just put him up there. I'm in the NHL because then it's just pointless to put him in the OHL just because you don't want to like ruin him because like it seems like he's been he would be doing well if if he starts off well. Um, this is of course if he starts off well. Like I understand it if it, it seems like he's not ready 
that he's not ready, but I don't see what's the problem with just trying to see if he can play right away. Um, so yeah, there's that. Um, and, uh, there was another point I was saying. I think, like, you know, Matt Duchesne, Mark Stone, uh, Thomas Shabbat, I think those guys are good players and, uh, should be good this year, even though their team is not going to be good. Um, but, so, but it, it will be interesting to see just in terms of everyone's morale and how they play as a team, because this team's not expected to be good. And, you know, like, if you look at, like, a team like Vegas last year, or a team like Colorado last year, it's like, those teams were not expected to be good either, and yet, you know, they both made the playoffs, and Vegas even made the Stanley Cup final. So, like, that's like, I mean, of course that doesn't happen to every team and all that stuff, but it's, uh, like, that... That could be like the the like the thing that you could give you hope is like well Vegas and uh, the Avalanche were were not expected to make the playoffs and then all of a sudden they make the playoffs so so it could happen but it's not likely uh, yeah it, it's a it's a stretch. Exactly. To say the least, it's a very big stretch. All right, we're we're actually an hour in, so we should make these <laughs> a little bit more quicker. Yeah. Uh, Tampa Bay. So I was trying to figure out if they had any notable additions and subtractions. Turns out they didn't really have any notable additions or anything, which is, I mean, it's not a huge deal considering they were the best team in the in the league last year um, with uh, 54-23 and one, th- uh, and five, a uh, record, um, but, uh, you know, there were reports that they were going to get Eric Carlson, uh, next year, or, you know, and all that stuff, but they, that didn't fall through, I, their cap situation wasn't that bad either, so I was, like, confused as to why they even, um, they didn't even make any big moves this year, but I guess it's not that surprising, you know, like, go with what works, you know, so, Kucherov had 100 points in 80 games. Steven Stamkos had 86 points in 78 games. Braden Point, which was the true, like, their depth was one of the bigger reasons why they were uh, able to be really good this year. You know, they had guys like Braden Point, who had 66 points. Yanni Gord, who had 64 points. Uh, Tyler Johnson had 50 points. Um... JT Miller, when he was acquired by the uh, from the Rangers at the trade deadline, he had eighteen of nineteen, eighteen points in nineteen games. And he was also playing on like the top power play line on the yeah. top line too. So it's not like he was a second line guy. They pushed exactly. him right into the limelight with guys like Stamkos and Kucherov. And then I, I'm not even mentioning Victor Hedman, who won the Norris Trophy. Yep. I mean, he had sixty three points in seventy seven games, which is incredible. So, um, and then, of course, Andre Blazilevsky went 44-17-3, his save percentage of 920, um, and a GAA of 2.62. I'm not even mentioning Mikhail Sergachev, um, who, uh, who had his moments. He had 40 points in 79 games, um... You know, they they did lose Chris Kunitz, but that's not a huge deal. Um, and 
Okay, see, the other one I had was Peter Budai is also of subtraction, although he's now waived by uh, the team that had him, so, uh, so that's not even that big of a deal either. Um, so yeah, it's, I don't know, the, the Lightning are, in my mind, I think the, the team to beat in the Atlantic Division, and maybe even the team to beat in the Eastern Conference, um, you know, but the thing that's gonna, that it, there are some weak points, um, Kucherov, Stamkos especially, they have, and Hedman, they all have some injury history um, in their past. So um, if they, if one of those three gets seriously injured, then I'd be worried about um, the like this team. Um, Vasilevsky kind of had fatigue last year towards the end of the season, so I wonder what they're gonna do with that because maybe they put in like because Louis Duming. Um, is their backup goalie, and he went. He had a decent um, stint when he was playing, but he only played twelve games, um, and he went seven three and one with a two point eight nine GAA and a save percentage of nine fourteen. That's only twelve games, so we don't know. If, like, so maybe he should take more of a role from Vasilevsky because it seemed like Vasilevsky got tired towards the end of the season. Um, and maybe that had something to do with um, why they didn't make the Stanley Cup Finals, where Vasilevsky wasn't as good. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 going to be a, a interesting year in that regard. But you know, at the same time, I don't know if they necessarily have to worry about Vasilevsky's fatigue issues because you know he still had. A 920 save percentage, a 2.62 GAA. He only lost seven, uh, 20 times if you combine his overtime losses and his regulation losses. So it's like uh, it's not uh, out of uh, 65 times. So it's not that bad if he gets fatigued, but it is something that they should watch. I feel like um, and see how that goes. Well, it's, it's definitely going to be important because this is basically Stanley Cup or bust because when you look at uh, guys like uh, Dan Girardi and Anton Strollman uh, nearing the end of their deals, they got one year left this year and then they become UFAs and Braden Coburn's in that same camp as well. Um, basically, with this group, you've got one year to basically win it all. Uh, And this is one of those teams that will make your head spin because you're trying and failing to contain everybody, much like uh, the next team we're going to talk about in a second. Because if one line isn't clicking, the door opens for another line to take advantage of their ice time, and that line steps up and delivers most of the time. And we all know that Stankos and Kucherov are the architects behind this offense. Head coach John Cooper has been crucial in implementing that strategy, too. And... It wasn't just guys like Pilat and Johnson that were expected to take on secondary roles. Like you said, Brayden Point had a great year. Yannick Gord had a great year. Um, and if they weren't doing their thing, guys like Johnson and Pilat or, or someone else delivered. True. And when I look at this team and I look at their power play, it's, it's a team that's very fluid. It thrives on speed. It thrives on good puck movement, quick passing. 
And the easiest way to generate those chances is using speed to draw penalties. So when you add all that up, you're basically looking at a team that plays with the lead most of the time. That means that team, when they're clicking, when they're firing on all cylinders, is going to be controlling the play most of the time. That, in turn, makes you a tougher team to play against. So if that continues for Tampa Bay, who's to say Braden Point can't score 80 points? Who's to say Mikhail Sergachev can't score 50? Who's to say Yannick Gord um, can't maintain that same level of play? Um, there are a lot of guys on this team that really made big strides last year, and I think will continue to make big strides this year because the majority of the core that this team has is intact and it's ready to roll. So... I'm expecting Tampa Bay to be a major Stanley Cup contender, and I wouldn't be surprised if they make an, another big move before the deadline to improve their roster. Yeah, it seems like they did, because it seems like, yeah, that's true. I feel like they made all their big moves in the trade deadline, because they got yeah. Ryan McDonough, um, that was a big move for them, and they got JT Miller as well. Um and, they also extended both of them in the offseason, too. Yeah, and uh, so they're basically the Rangers, um, but uh, they also have... Yeah, they're the, the Rangers 2.0, yeah. Yeah, they, they also have Ryan Callahan, Strawman, and Girardi, who are all, all former Rangers. Um, so, yeah, it, in that regard, I think, like, I, I am a little worried about, like, if Yanni Gord can continue, can sustain what he had this year uh, just because his shooting percentage is um, crazy. Is that 18.4%? Um, but at the same time, you were right. It's like, okay, well, if Yanni Gord doesn't work out, then you have T Tyler Johnson or you have JT Miller or you have, you know, Sorel Anthony Sorelli of all people, you know, so you yeah. don't um, – plot who can take over. So um, so even if one of these depth guys falters, which probably will happen, you know, you have another guy who can pick it back up and and uh, and take over. So um, I'm not too worried about that that aspect of it, but um, I could if I I wanna see that like I wanna say that if any team like because I feel like any team could have like the worst-case scenario. And the worst-case scenario would be if, like, Stamkos and Kucherov are out long-term, same with Hedman, and then the team just falls apart after that. And I, it could happen, but it's hard to, like, actually plan for injuries. So um, so that's that's going to be an issue. But uh, for now, it's it's not, and I think the, uh, the, the Lightning are, are the team to beat in the East. Um, so I know, I, I spoiled my predictions, I guess. Um, the, let's go to Toronto. Uh, they, uh, it was funny, because when I was writing this notable additions here, I was like, okay, so they have John Tavares. Is that their only notable addition? And it looks, I mean, there's Par Lindholm and Josh Juris and Tyler Ennis, but that's about it, really. So I was like, all right, I guess Tavares is their biggest addition. And he is, um, other than arguably Eric Carlson, um, he's probably the biggest guy who changed team, uh, changed teams this year. Um, 
you know, all of the NHL. Um, so it's like, you know, now you have, you know, now Toronto is battling between uh, Pittsburgh as the best top line center, uh, two line centers on their team. Uh, Toronto went 49, 29, and 7. Um, they finished third in the, uh, the division. Um, but, uh, so let's see here. Mitch Marner was their leading scorer last year. He had 69 points in 82 games. Austin Matthews had 63 points in 62 games because he missed a couple of games. Um, it looked like he was also injured, uh, during the playoffs, so that had an effect. Uh, William Nylander had 61 points in 82 games. Uh, Kadri had 55 points in 80 games. Um, Jake Gardner, James Van Riemsdyk also had a, a big year, 54 points in 81 games. Jake Gardner um, kind of had a breakout year, as well as Morgan Riley. They both had 52 points, but uh, Morgan Riley only played 76 games, and Jake Gardner played 82 games. Um, so yeah, so, and then of course you have Freddie Anderson, um, who at goal, um, he went 38, 21 and five, um, with a save percentage of 918 in a GAA of 2.81. The crazy thing about him is that he had 2,029 saves combined, which is incredible. Um, Considering that usually, you know, when you, you know, you don't save a ton, but like, uh, it is, <laughs> it is nuts that he, he saved 2,000 pucks. Cause that's by far the most saves of any goalie last season. Um, so yeah, that kind of brings me back to my concern with the Toronto Maple Leafs is, yeah, sure, they got, uh, John Tavares and Austin, and they have Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, and if a Willie Nylander can continue, the main concern I have is their defense. Um, they didn't do anything to address their defense, which was by far their biggest need. Uh, Jake Gardner is great, and so is Morgan Riley, but they definitely have some defensive deficiencies um, to their game. And Freddie Anderson bailed them out so in so many games. And so John Tavares is great, um, and it's kind of like I guess that the best defense is is a good offense, um, but at the same time, it's like, like, how are they going to stop any pucks? So, you know, it's, it's not like Freddie Anderson, you can rely on Freddie Anderson to continue to save all these pucks for them when you have um, a defense like that. So that's my only main concern. I still think they'll make the playoffs, um, but that that I could see that happening where like where like Freddie Anderson just starts to crumble and the defense is not addressed at all. So um, so that's I'm not the first one. I'm not like some hot take artist because I know that a lot of people have been critical of their defense. Um, but I I think that that's their biggest flaw by far um, when you look at this lineup. Yeah, but a lot of other people have been praising their offense. Like, you look right. at the list of centers that scored 30 goals this year, the Leafs have three of, uh, three of the centers uh, that made the list last year, being Tavares, Matthews, and Kadri. 
Right. Uh, and all of them are playing on the same team this year. And now the question is, if and when Nylander signs, it'll be a matter of when he will get signed. Um, which line is he going to play on? I read someone um, um, putting out a thought on Twitter saying, hey, imagine this for a second, Nylander centering the fourth line. <laughs> like, that would be a pretty scary fourth line. Right. That would probably be the scariest fourth line in the entire league. And you look at guys who made a name for themselves, like Travis Dermott and Justin Hall on defense, and Andreas Janssen up front. Like, uh, I remember in the early stages of his call-up uh, with the Leafs, people were talking about Andreas Janssen as basically a James Van Riemsdyk type of player, a guy that goes to the net, isn't afraid to get the dirty goals, but also has a, a lot of offensive flair. And he goes back to the AHL and turns out to be one of the Marley's best players en route to the Calder Cup title. So um, there's a lot of hype to his game. I think Connor Brown is capable of having a 30-goal season. He could be like a Kyle Connor type of player, like Kyle Connor was in Winnipeg last year. Um, I definitely think this year is going to be a statement year for Jake Gardner. Going into free agency, also Morgan Riley, who keeps getting better but needs to still get better. Nikita Zaitsev wasn't himself as well. And then you've also got uh, young defensive guys like Callie Rosen um, that could uh, make the lineup out of training camp. So it'll be interesting to see how they formulate their defense. But you're right. When it comes to team defense, that's what really hurt the Leafs last year because yeah. they – rode Freddie Anderson hard. And even when McElhaney played in some games, he was still facing 30 to 40 shots a night. So uh, it starts with making life easier for the goaltenders. Uh, it starts with staying disciplined and staying out of the penalty box. Um, and the less awkward situations they put themselves in, the better chance they have to really excel offensively. Because like the Islanders, you know, it's one thing to score six or seven goals to win a hockey game. But when you need every single one of those goals to win a hockey game because yeah. you're giving up as much as you're scoring, that's not really going to get you places. So in right. order for Toronto to take that next step, they need to be a better defensive-minded team as a unit. Not just the defense um, in general, but as a team, they need to be better. Right. But you're right. I look at their offense and I look at – the potential chemistry with certain lines. And, and there's so many possibilities for Mike Babcock here. And it's going to be interesting to see how everyone's utilized. Yeah, I, I, kind of, I kind of forgot to say the notable subtractions were JVR, which uh, could be a big loss, but you did mention that they, you did mention that they have Andreas Janssen, um, also Patrick Marlowe and Zach Hyman had decent years last year. Um, the uh, Bozak... Uh, Komarov and Matt Martin are also gone as well, but um, you know those aren't as big of a deal considering they got John Tavares um, in their lineup. Uh, so, um, and then you also mentioned Nylander, who hasn't been signed yet. Um, reportedly, uh, this is also an interesting uh, thing, speculation. Um, but reportedly, Nylander's asked is eight million dollars. And the Leafs want him to be signed for $6 million. Um, the thing that's kind of interesting about this is Nylander's probably around $8 million, maybe $7 million. Um, but the thing is, is uh, Marner and Matthews are going to be RFAs next year. They still, uh, you know, John Tavares, they have uh, signed for $10 million. 
next, uh, you know, in the next couple of years. So, so it's going to be, uh, so like if Nylander's ask is 8 million and the Leafs want 6 million, it makes me wonder if the trio of Matthews, Nylander and Marner are going to stay together long term. Um, because of this John Tavares contract, and I know, yeah, because if you sign yeah. Nealander to an eight million per year, yeah. Warner's probably going to get the same. Matthews is going to get even more. And how about this? In a couple of years down the road, if Freddie Anderson continues to be Freddie Anderson, he's probably going to ask for more money than what he's getting right now, and that's probably like what four, five, six million a year. Right, right. So, like the the Maple Leafs kind of remind me a little bit of what the Edmonton Oilers were last year, where it's like yep. you have this great talent in Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl that you can build your team around, but then you mess up with the contract talks and you have to like draft and get a like entry like entry level guys to fill the needs that they have. Like, sure, I know that they have Timothy Lilligren. Um, in their system, and he could be a uh, per, you know, he could show up this year. Um, but like, um, you know, <laughs> these guys, you know, like death, death role is very important. So if you're if you're paying Nylander eight million or even seven million, it's like Marner and Matthews could arguably could say like, hey, we should be making more than eight million. Um, than that because we've been playing better than Nylander. Um, and so that, that kind of, it's, it's a little interesting in that regard. Um, also what is interesting too, and I know it's, it's probably, it's pure speculation, but the Maple Leafs, uh, we mentioned this briefly last, uh, episode, but the, uh, the, uh, Toronto only has three assistant captains, no head captain, but they made John Tavares, Patrick Marlowe, and Morgan Riley assistant captains. So Morgan Riley makes sense because, you know, he's been on the lease for a while now. Uh, John Tavares is a little interesting just because they just got him. He hasn't even played for Toronto, um, you know, in a regular season game. And Patrick Marlowe is was only, uh, like, you know, he's only been the assistant captain one year, or he's only been on the lease for one year. Um, so, <clears throat> it, like, if I were Matthews, and I, if I were Marner, or Nylander, who's now, like, you know, although he's in contract talks, it's like, I would be, like, going, like, wait, what a second, I thought this was our team, and then instead you have, like, you know, John Tavares is exciting and all, but and he was a captain um, on the Islanders, and Marlowe was a captain on the Sharks before he got there. But like, it's just a strange move to make it seem like. But Matthews and Marner and Nylander are the you know are the the core that you that got you there, got you to the playoffs all these times. So it's it's just a strange move to not even give them a leadership role like that. Um, but Whatever, I guess that's my opinion. <laughs> I, I think it's one of those things where, like you said, you know, Marlowe has leadership experience, Tavares has leadership experience. But the fact is, you want to win a Stanley Cup, you go with the guys that you know um, 
can help you get there with right. the leadership experience that they have. You're not going to throw a bunch of young guys that have been there in the right. last two or three years right. into an assistant captaincy role if they've never done it before. Yeah, but still, like, Matthews, Nylander, and Marner are your core. It's like, well, that's true. And Tavares just got there. He's, he, like, he hasn't even played a regular season game for the Leafs yet. So you can't, like... Like, I, I get the factor that, like you're saying, that they used to be captains, and I don't want to, like, I agree it is a little bit of a silly argument on my sake, but, like, I, I feel like this could be something that could come up in, like, negotiations where Matthews and Marner and Nylander are like, uh, what's going on, guys? Because I'm a leader on this team. I am your core. I'm a part of your core. You know, like... What's what gives? You give it to like a guy who just joined the team, or you know. <laughs> so it's like, so in that regard, I I don't understand it. But again, it is John Tavares, so um, so it is kind of a weird situation in that regard. But I don't know. It just it seems a little weird to me. Um, but yeah. So uh, on that note. Uh, we should, I think we both have a set of who our top three should be, right? In this division. Yeah, it's just a matter of order, though. Yes. Uh, I'm going to say, uh, I think Tampa's our number one for all, for, uh, for both of us. Um, I'm going to say Boston top two. And then uh, Toronto three, but I have a feeling you are going to have that switched. I think the Leafs are going to be a close second, and I think um, I think uh, Boston's going to be uh, finishing in third. But I don't think it's going to be comfortable. Um, yep. I think they're going to face some heavy competition towards the end, and they'll just hang on to it. Uh, well, I disagree, but <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> well, yeah, you're a Bruins fan. I'd I expect know. you to. But I, yeah, I could see the Panthers maybe making uh, something if, if Toronto, Boston, or uh, Tampa somehow falter. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I think those. I think Florida is pretty much the only team that could, could possibly get into the mix. But yeah, they're, um, they're, they would be the Bruins' main threat. I think the yeah. Sabers get somewhere between the Sabers eight and nine one, points. Yeah. So they, they be. Competitive into March and April, and finishing uh, third last to very last in the division, I have Montreal, Detroit, and Ottawa. Yeah, as for the last, I don't know. It's hard for me to really say, because I feel like Detroit, Montreal, and Ottawa are all going to be really bad this year. Um, I think Ottawa's going to be worst of all. I don't know. I think Montreal... There will be noticeable separation, too. I'd say at least 10 points. Between them and uh, second to last, I'm not going to go that far. I, I I'm I'm going to be contrarian because I don't think the auto is going to be that terrible because they still, like you know Duchesne and uh, and Stone are good players. Um, Assuming they stay, I think you're right. But if yeah. they leave, yeah, yeah, then then I change my mind. Yeah. Um, I yeah I, I want to say Montreal will probably be last, uh, just because I'm not sure about Carey Price's health and Shea Weber's health. Yeah. Um. So I want to say Montreal, but you're right. <laughs> Carlson and 
uh, Hoffman are big losses to overcome. Um, so they didn't really address that need. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's probably between Ottawa and uh, Montreal. And Detroit's probably going to be bad too, but I don't, but like they still have Larkin and Mantha and some, you know, Athanasio, so they still have some players to look forward to. So that's going to conclude our uh, Atlantic Division preview. Uh, stay tuned for tomorrow where we're going to talk about the Metro Division. Um, stay tuned.